Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Now all the Zoomers can hear me. Um, yeah, who was here last week to hear part one of the story about Lazarus? Who was disappointed uh, that I didn't keep going? Peter Bell was very disappointed that I didn't keep going. He wanted to get to the end of that story. We'd, we'd, um, it's very, very interesting, this story, um, because it precedes the, the triumphal entry. Um, in the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Luke, the story is like Zac- Zacchaeus, Jesus, and then there's a triumphal entry. Uh, but John's the only one that talks about um, Lazarus. And you could just imagine the uproar that anybody heard about a dead man walking um, would have had and the expectation that would have raised in their heads. It wasn't, he wasn't just healing, he was raising the dead. It's like, that's it, that's our... In, yeah, healing's good, but raising the dead, that's Elijah stuff, right? And everybody look back to the days of Elijah, and it, like, I don't know what the time frame is. Like Isaiah was six or 700 years, and Elijah was before that. So we're talking close to a 1,000 years ago in their history where they were thinking that God moved in mighty, powerful ways. And so Jesus comes along, and they are hearing left, right, and center uh, that he is talking about a kingdom where he's the king and he's demonstrating the power of that kingdom uh, in ways that Elijah did and ways that the prophet said that the coming Messiah would. And they got all confused because he wasn't, according to their knowledge, born in Bethlehem. But they start singing out, Hosanna. Oh, what did you call it? Hoshana, which is save us. When Jesus' name is Yeshua, which is saviour, one who saves. So um, they're starting to call him the son of David. They're starting to call because their prophetic understanding was that Messiah would come and he would be a son of David um, and that he would have an eternal kingdom, an eternal rule. Um, before we get into the word today, I wonder, it's actually connected to this word. This is a beautiful picture. Um this is my friend. This is my friend Maddie, who's uh, no longer present on the earth, but she is into the future, into her resurrected life, where I will be, where I will join her. Because did you know, people think, you know, when you die, that you go to heaven. Well, there's lots of steps between your death and heaven. And guess what? In terms of my connection to Maddie, my next time I will see Maddie will be when Jesus comes back. And those who have died will come alive. They'll be resurrected. And those who are living, both of them will see Jesus at the same time. I'm going to get to see Jesus come back. She's going to get to see, and we'll meet at that day. How good is that? They'll get to see the living, we'll get to see the living. So I'm going to, one day when I die, I'm going to be resurrected, unless Jesus comes back sooner than that. But one day I'll be resurrected and I'll see my friend Maddie. Maddie, um, the reason I'm showing you this picture is, um, this, this picture is called Beautifully Broken. There is a Japanese art called Kit, Kint, 
sui, sugi, which is basically um, there's a philosophy in, in, in Japan where if you break a precious thing, then you take the time and you use lacquer, gold, silver or platinum and you, you put it all back together because it's still the, the beauty is actually in, in this underlying thing. And so they take the time. In fact, the articles that are actually uh, put together are actually more valuable than the original when they're put together with the gold, the silver and the platinum. And um, th this idea that something's broken that is actually made beautiful kind of resonates with me about what God does with us in this life. How that we are broken by sin and then the power and the love of Jesus does something to put us back together again. But he puts this beautiful life back in us. Now, I wanted to show you this and tell you a story about Maddie because Maddie's story is a little bit like Lazarus. In that, uh, when we first met uh, Maddie, it started with her mum coming to church. Her mum, um, her mum's name is Kathy, and uh, I remember when the church was facing that way. And I saw Kathy up the back of the church very early, probably about ten minutes before the service. And I said, Michelle, there's a, a new lady. Can you go and have a chat with her? And Michelle went down and had a chat with her. And I'm going to fast forward this story, um, so I'm going to miss details. But I remember that um, Michelle coming back and she'd had an amazing time with this lady and prayed with her, I think. And God was, had led her to come to church. And then she had been sitting out in the car park. She was there early and she said, um, Lord, I want Michelle Butler to come and speak with me. Oh, come on. Yeah, so look, the details, the details are important. They, they actually are important because Kathy was related. She was the sister-in-law of a young guy who had been in our youth group back in Austinville, so 20-odd years ago. And his sister, uh, her sister had said to Kathy, who wasn't a Christian, and she was living in Melbourne, she said, I'd really like, she had been talking to Kathy about Jesus in Melbourne and she said, I'd really like you to try and go to church. You're in desperate need. Maddie's in desperate need. I know a couple who we knew from youth group back in Austinville. So God uses the past and brings it full circle. And so she said, um, if you get a chance, try and talk to Paul or Michelle Butler. So Kathy arrived shaking because she, I believe she was under this the spirit of Jesus at the time when she drove here and she got here so early and she sat in the car park and she really didn't want to come in she was really fighting fighting it and she then she led this last ditch prayer and she said well God I'll go in but if Michelle Butler doesn't come and talk to me uh, and we had never met or seen each other and she said if she doesn't talk to me I'm straight out again so that's the background of the story God just did it. <laughs> we'll go with. Oh. How's that? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, story continues. Kathy becomes a Christian. We baptise her. Her daughter, who is not a Christian, 
uh, comes along to church and she's loved by you. When I say you, or yous, or yous guys. Uh, um, When Maddie came to our church, I think she had already had an operation to remove a part of her bone in her femur. She'd been through one round and uh, I think she ended up going through two further rounds of chemo. Uh, But she became a follower of Jesus and her life became beautifully broken. And um, she became a follower of Jesus. She became part of our young adults, was loved by them. And, um, And I remember the third time she got cancer. So she got healed and then she was in remission and then the cancer came back and then she eventually died from, from the cancer. And, but I remember a conversation that she had with me, and this is the point of my sermon today. Uh, what I want to get you to is, is that um, some of us fear death. Some of us fear death for lots of different reasons. The, some of us fear death because of the, the possibility of pain associated with that or grief associated with that, the absence and... I know there are people in this room who have lost dear ones to you and you go through that, that pain of absence, that pain of missing them in this between now and my death and our resurrection. And that's not fun. Missing someone that you love is not fun. It's, it's painful and it's incredibly lonely. But I want to address the issue of the fact of that some of us fear death for the wrong reason. And that wrong reason is because we don't have a clear sense of what our future is and that we value what we've got more than we value what is to come. And uh, we want to we nail that because sometimes we get fixated on this life, in these things, and then we stop hoping for the greater things. We stop living with eternity in our hearts, as, the, as people have said. And I think we've got to live with eternity in our hearts because we're living in a world where people do not have hope. We prayed uh, for our young people today. The reason is is because what they are reading and what they are hearing through media and social media is that the world through uh, the the world is coming to an end through climate change. Um, and I'm not going to go in, get into that, but they believe that it's all coming to an end and that they won't have a world. So they go, what's the point? And so they, they become hopeless. But Christianity is, is a, an amazing, amazing faith that says there is, that there is a resurrection and that there is a hope for those who believe. And that's what we want to talk about. Um, here's where Lazarus's story is similar to Maddie's story. Maddie got healed and then she died. Lazarus got resurrected. He didn't get healed, he got resurrected and then later he died. Right? And, and the reality is, is that my conversation with Maddie one day was she was one of these people just like you and me who could have worried about what death was going to be like. She was actually more worried about her mum, to be honest. She was worried about what her death would do to her mum. But she was also worried because she didn't really know what was coming next. What was her hope and expectation? And so we sat down 
and one afternoon and for about an hour, we just talked about what the Bible said about the resurrected life. And we began to imagine what that was like. And she went from a place of feeling worried and anxious about dying to actually going, there are things to, to my death and to my dying that are hard, but there are things that I'm really excited about going to. And she could actually hold those two things in tension. But one thing that was taken from her in that afternoon was the fear of dying. We've got to nail that enemy because it does not belong in a believer's heart. Jesus does not want us to fear death. Paul said it really well when he said, Sting, a death, where is your sting? And what else did he say? And grave, where is your victory? Paul has been quite aggro with it. It's like he was going for it. And, good, and it's really important that in this day and age, that we remember the most important thing. So the story of Lazarus really is about, but wait, there's more. And we, and we remember last week we talked about the fact that Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that the one that he loved was very unwell, powerless, weak, feeble. Now there, what they, were, what they were asking for was for Jesus to come and to heal. But all of us are like that. When we pray, we probably pray to the extent of our understanding, wisdom and knowledge about a certain situation and we pray and ask God for what we think is best. And I think that's great. I think we're called to do that. You know, but there's a, there's, that, wait, wait, there's more. And that's, I want to expand our prayer life and expand our vision when we approach the living God, the almighty God, the God who can do all things, the Jesus that we sing about, the name of Jesus is so much greater. See, Lazarus moments are disappointment and grief-filled moments when we didn't get what we asked and didn't get what we hoped for. There are those moments where Lazarus, whose name means God who helps, where you, you go to the God who helps and you ask for things that only God can do. We had a, I had a wonderful time, Michelle and I were at a, um, our Baptist Movements uh, Pastors Conference this week and um, Tim Hanno, who used to be the senior pastor at Gateway uh, and I think um, he was the head of Compassion. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he shared just one comment that stuck out in one of his keynote addresses and that was this. What are you currently doing that God can only do? What are you asking for that God can only do? It was a great question. I started writing down all the things that I'm asking and hoping and expecting God to do that only God can do. It's, it's, isn't that like, is our vision too small? Is our idea of what God can do too small? And I started writing down, Lord, I want to pray like, Andrew, because Andrew shared that story 
um, which is an awesome story. I just want Holy Lord, may your Holy Spirit come upon our people in such a way that they'll be so excited about witnessing in the name of Jesus that they'll pray for those and they'll be filled, that they'll pray for the sick and they'll recover, that they will uh, cast out demons, that they'll share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with power and wisdom and with great compassion and understanding and that people will become followers of Jesus. Where's Donna? Donna, like that. And, and that they will start a conversation and God will lead it and that person will recognize the new life and say, I want that. Can you pray for me? Got excited when you pray for her. The next step, get her into a bath and baptize her. Uh, and then pray for the filling. And, and that, that person whose life is now forever changed with resurrection and life, that that person then becomes a person who is now doing the good works that God planned for them before the beginning of all creation and is now walking in that hope, walking in that love, and walking in that faith. That's, and I started to pray, Lord, we want revival to break out in New Heart, in this area, in Queensland, in Brisbane. I started to pray for things that only God can do as we yield to him, as we submit to him and break through in us. So you know what? There's parts of me that are like Lazarus moments. There are parts of me that are disappointed and grieved over what is not. But I'm believing God for more. Wait, there's more. See, um, we learned last week that um, when, when Jesus stayed, he explained to his disciples, the reason I'm not going back is this. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through, through it. Um, you know, God is not narcissistic. He doesn't make it... Um, he's not like a human who can be nas- and make it all about them. When you've got everything, that, <laughs> and when you are the best of everything, He can make it all about you. Why? Is God egotistical? When he says he wants to glorify himself and glorify his son Jesus, he's not being selfishly egotistical. What he's doing is he's going, I want to glorify means to put light on and reveal. I want to put light on and reveal me and my son Jesus so that they may believe. Why? Because when you know God and when you see God, you are seeing the best that there ever is. And he goes, I'm giving myself to these people. I'm revealing myself to them. And I'm giving the goodness and the love and the kindness to the max that anybody ever expressed. I'm giving them the very best thing. They could not, I could not give them anything better than me. Because he is so purely, beautifully good and holy and amazing and awesome. So when God says, I want to glorify myself, he's basically saying, I want to make you become aware of me. And that is amazing because Jesus did everything to glorify his Father. He's like, everything I do, I want the light shining on him because I love my Father and I want you to love my Father. And I know my Father. I want you to know my Father because there's no one better than you could meet than my Father. My Father's the best. Do you ever... Do you ever say that about your dad? 
So we get down to the part of the story where um, he's talking to Martha and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Not resurrection life. They're two separate things. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Belief and life and light are all themes of John. The one who believes in me will live. It's the same word as the word life back in in that first part. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are Messiah. Now, we're going to just translate that word as anointed king. The son of God who has come into the world. The word resurrection means up again. When someone dies, they go down. So to resurrect them is to get them up again. And the word life, so that word resurrection is anastasis. Anastasis, to rise up again. And then the word life, I am the one who brings up again. And I am the life. Not just, there's another Greek word for like physical life, it's called bios, where you get the word biology and biosphere and all these words, which is natural life. This is a, a this is like true God life. It's like when God breathed into Adam. It's a spiritual life. It's a life that you, you have to have to be spiritually alive. And he said, I am the resurrection. I will rise you up again and I will give you spiritual life. Do you know when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and he said, you must be born again. He was talking about this life, this Zoe life, this spirit being breathed into you, life. And he was talking about it filling you and creating you into a new creation, a new being, so that you might say the word, I am born again. It's like, but this time with God's breath. I'm filled with God's life, filled with God's breath. And just like Adam was filled with God's breath, Jesus comes back as the second Adam and God fills him with his spirit. And then Jesus says, now you go and wait and I'm going to pour out my breath. My Zoe will come and fill you and then you will be born again. And you'll be this whole nation of born again ones. And you'll be my new creation and you will extend my kingdom throughout the earth. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have a question for you right at this moment. When you think about the story of Lazarus, what was Jesus thinking? What was his end game? First of all, we know it was to glorify his father, shine light. What what was the second objective behind Jesus raising? Remember in the early part of the story told his disciples were going to wait here two days so that you might believe that was the second objective and then all the people that came to mourn later on in the story after this this little section it says i came and i waited so that they might believe and then lazarus gets up 
and we read another part of the story which we're going to do in a minute and those people believed is that it was that it but wait there's more you're all worried aren't you you're going there's another answer and i don't know what it is all right jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone lit across the entrance uh, take away the stone he said but lord said martha the sister of the dead man by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there four days so there was a superstition amongst the jews that a the soul of a person stayed with a person for three days and then once the three days was over the soul departed jesus stayed for four days to be sure to be sure I want you to know this is not just a resuscitation. This is absolutely, if he's smelling, good. Exactly what I wanted. I wanted this to be only God can stuff. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So you can see those two words, glory and belief. So God's, Jesus' intention for, uh, part of his intention for raising uh, Lazarus from the dead was so that God would get glory and that people would believe it or it rem- those things remain consistent throughout history right now it's for his glory so that people might believe so they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said father I thank you you have heard me I knew you always hear me this is fantastic news for us because we can pray that prayer any day of the week father I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you will always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may... So Jesus is still doing it for people who are listening. All right, Everything he's doing is that, that they might believe. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the great grave clothes and let him go. You ever seen someone set free? Not physically like this, but because Jesus comes in and he makes them a new creation. Can you imagine how Lazarus felt? Having been dead, wrapped in clothes, and he's looking and all the life comes back into him. It's like, let me out of here. And then what would he have felt after that? It's like, who can I tell? Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting in the Sanhedrin. Now, we're not going to read this, this part. But you know what happens? <laughs> boo, boo. Um, they, want, they want it all, don't they? They want it all. We could go all day on this. this. But what ends up happening is, is that they meet, the Sanhedrin meet, and they, they're in an uproar. Jesus has just raised someone from the dead. All the tension of Rome is starting to come on, and the people are all stirred up. In the next chapter, they're all marching towards um, the temple and they're hoping that jesus goes right and not left or left and not right he goes towards the roman uh, place the praetorium and he's going to start a rebellion against rome but instead jesus goes left and goes as a as a lamb to the temple 
And he, and, he, and he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And, he, and he, told, he told everybody whose business he was about, the people wanted him to be their next saviour in a human kind, in a political kind. And Jesus was saying, my kingdom's not physical. It's not political. It's actually spiritual and it's going to affect the physical realm. Right back... When Jesus was told by his father, don't go, stay here for another two days, wait until he's four days dead and then go, there was a bigger plan in mind. Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. We see just a little bit. Paul says we see right now through a glass that is dirty and dim. But then, right then, in the resurrected life, when we are with Jesus, we will see him face to face. But right now, when we pray, when we're facing difficult situations, and did we not pray that Maddie would be healed? Did we not? We, for those of you who knew her, we all prayed, Lord, heal her. And she got healed at one point, and we thought, yes. And she went into remission, and, and the cancer seemed to disappear, and then it came back, and then she died. And there's a part of me that grieved that we didn't get to keep her. She was so young. And, and you go, why, why the young? Why did the young die? And then you go back there, but wait, there's more. You see, I didn't realize and didn't understand, and we all do not understand just how good it is the other side of this life. And what I do is we put this life up here on a pedestal and we put our eternity going blah, 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 blah. Yes, 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 yes. But we don't realise what I, what I was grieving, she's celebrating. I'm losing the loss of a friend for a moment. She got to go straight to the resurrection and begin eternity. How can I say that's a bad thing? Surely that's my hope. Surely that's your hope. Surely when you, you know that you've got this hope of the resurrection, I've got to say that is the best thing I could ask for you, that you will see Jesus face to face and the glory of his kingdom and he's coming on a white horse. Michelle reckons it's flying because he's up in the air. And she says, there are flying horses, Paul. <laughs> and they're white. <laughs> oh, there it is. Let me read to you. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And John's going, he didn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And John adds... And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Back to when the Father says, stay for two days extra. What is Jesus doing? Bigger picture, wait, there's more. What is the wait? There is more factor that we just learned from the end of John chapter 11. For us, John 17, I pray not for them, but for the ones who might believe because of them. That's us. 2,000 years later, it's the us, the much bigger. But there's more. There's more. Here's what happens straight after this. Chapter 12. Jesus says, unless a seed falls and dies, it can bear no good fruit. But if it dies, what will happen? It will bear much fruit. 
So what happens straight after this is that those who believe run out into the streets and Jesus goes up the triumph and they start singing Hosanna, Hosanna. And there's an amazing revival of hope amongst these people that Jesus is the king they've been waiting for. But what that does is it makes the, the leaders more angry and more determined to get rid of him. So what happens is they pay Judas 30 silver pieces and say, betray him as soon as you possibly can. We want this done before Passover happens. So he's betrayed. He's put on trial both in the Jewish court and the Roman court. And they cannot find guilt on him whatsoever, but they're still determined to kill him. Why? Why? It's part of the plan. Wait, there's more. Jesus knew right from the word go, he was going to die. He never, and he didn't get in the road of that. He didn't, it was for the glory. He says, wait, no, but for the glory of my father. This has got to happen. He's going two more days knowing that he would heal Lazarus and then all hell would break loose. And then he would go up and other people would go, yay. And the Sanhedrin would go, nay. And then it would be on like Biff. All the Biff went on in the spiritual realm. So it led to a betrayal. It led to a trial. It led to him dying. It led to his burial. It led to his rising. But wait, there's more. It doesn't stop at the rising. It, he begins to reveal to his disciples who see him resurrected with the nail prints in his hand and the piercing in his side and the, and the marks around his head where the crown of thorns have been and he's revealing who he is and he's going back through the scriptures and things that they couldn't see and they're starting to go, oh! <laughs> and, and, then, and then he finishes after 40 days of revealing and unpacking who he is. He gets into a point and he says, right, I'm out. <laughs> they go, what? You can't leave us? No, no, the plan is I have to go so you can do what you have to do. And he gives them the great commission. And by the way, the Great Commission is more than Matthew 28. It's Luke 24, it's Mark 16, and it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it's John 20, verse 21, even though there is, it's a different moment, and Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive Holy Spirit. And ever, whoever sins you forgive, I will forgive. When you read all those passages and you stick them all together, you get this massive picture of the beautiful understanding that Jesus wants people to believe. And he sends his people who do believe to tell the people who don't believe, believe. We believe it changed our lives. So Jesus ascends, but wait, there's more. <laughs> it just keeps going. What's the next part? Jesus goes to prepare a place. For who? Who are the us? Those who believe. <laughs> and then he's preparing a place. And during the time between his preparing a place in his return, he says, now, I'm not coming back, Matthew 24, verse 14. Ma uh, Matthew 24, verse 14, Roger, uh, you're a YWAMer. It's a key verse for YWAMers. It talks about he won't come back until what? The kingdom will be preached to the whole world. And then the end will come. What's the end? The end is prior to Jesus' return. But wait, there's more. 
He returns and there is a judgment of the living and the dead. And he will judge the living and the dead. And to those who believe, who've put their trust and faith in him, who've repented of their self-rule and they've given their heart to Jesus, then they have received eternal life. They will no longer perish, but they're given a resurrected eternal body and, a, and their soul and their spirit will be made alive. The resurrection and the life forever. And then there's an establishing. There's an establishing of his eternal reign and rule. And then there's a remaining. I will be their God and they will be my people. When Jesus was told, wait two days, he wasn't simply thinking about healing or raising Lazarus. He was thinking about us being with him in eternity. Wait is more. When you think that God hasn't answered you the way you want it to be answered, you've got to stop and think, God, you are sovereign. You see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And you see things as they really are. I don't want to tell you what to do. What I want is to be like Jesus who waited the extra two days so that we could remain with you in eternity forever and be in Revelation 20 and 21. Being at the marriage, because the marriage, somewhere around the establishing there is the marriage feast of the Lamb, which we're going to talk about Passover Thursday. I've got to tell you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or mind conceived what God has in store for us. We've got no idea what it's going to be like to live with him forever. We can only imagine. And that thought and those thoughts have to fill our souls and minds and fill us with this awe so that we don't make more of this life than it is. That's our greatest trouble that we make too much of this life and not enough of the next. So what do we do with these people? You've got to read Acts you've got to read John 12. You read everything I you go and read it this week, make it your your devotion this week. Read read through the rest of John. It's a great week's worth of of readings there. But you're going to get this at the end of John 20, he says, This was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Martha's confession, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That you might have resurrection and life. People... what you have received now freely give live in the resurrection life though you though you die so shall you live and those who believe and live they will not die we're living in this time filled with zoe life filled with the knowledge that when we die we get a resurrected life oh good I want that to shape the way I think about my life. 
And when I don't get the things I think I should get, then I trust the living God who is sovereign and above all and rules all things and knows exactly how it begins from the end, the end from the beginning. I'm going to trust him with my life. Some of you have been through situations where you believed that God was going to do something. You may have even got a word from the Lord or felt that you got a word and it didn't happen. What do you do with that? What do you do when your hope and your expectations disappoint you? What happens when you hit a Lazarus moment in your life and it doesn't turn out? Like this story is pretty good. Lazarus gets raised. But what happens when your Lazarus doesn't get raised? What happens when your Maddie dies? What's your answer? What's your answer? Martha's answer was pretty good. She said, you didn't heal him, but I still believe. I still believe right now that you can ask God and he'll give you what you want. She was still hoping for something that only God could do. And what I want to do is I want to lay down my expectations and I want to say, Jesus, I want what glorifies you the most. And if there's something that's going to happen or doesn't happen in my life that doesn't turn out the way I think it should be or the way I want it to be, I'm going to lay that down unless the seed falls and dies, it can bear no good fruit. I'm going to let that dream die and that expectation die and I'm going to come to you and say, breathe life into my heart that I will continue to believe even when things go wrong and don't turn out the way I want. I'm going to believe in you because you are the resurrection and the life. And ultimately, the big picture is much better than what I don't get in this life. So, people, people of the resurrection, I want to pray for anybody here. There may be someone here who does not have resurrection and life. No hope. One thing I, I think people need is they need the love of God. They need to know that God loves them. Jesus came to reveal the love of God to us. He came to reveal that God has an expectation and a hope that you will not die forever, but that you will have everlasting life. But to get the full expression of those two things, we have to take hold of what he's done for us by giving of himself through faith. And I just want to pray a quick prayer to invite anybody who's here that needs to take hold of what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial and resurrection, which is to make us right with God. And if you believe he is the king, the son of the living God, then come to him and confess your faith and say, I believe in you, Jesus. And Lord, forgive me for not believing in you before. Let's just pray. I'm going to pray, Lord. I just pray that prayer on behalf of someone here. And for those who are not here, that we might hear it, Lord, and then remember to pray this with them. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he revealed that he was your son through his great power. 
by healing the sick and raising the dead. Thank you that the one who created the universe became human and allowed humans to take his life, put him on a cross. But that the great power of God came upon him and raised him from the dead so that we could have a hope that we too who believe in him would rise. So Lord, I, I just ask that you would forgive me for my sins. Thank you for being Jesus, the one who saves. I ask you to save me. And God, I pray you give me your life. You breathe new life into me. And Jesus, I want to live my life with your life. And I want you to give me a different perspective on this life while I'm living it. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come upon your people right now and breathe a fresh hope, love and faith in them. Jesus, you are so good. We love you, Jesus.